reminds me of a Sunday. Started out just like this. The singers had been singing, I Surrender All. And I'd been asked to speak in this one-room church with wooden floors and dust-stained windowsills. And I was standing in the back as they were singing that song. And my daughter came out to introduce me. And I remember as I was walking down that aisle, which seemed like it took an eternity to get up to the front of this church to speak to these people. I didn't know anybody in the room, but I come to understand that I had a knot in my stomach. I felt my heart beating with inside my chest as I walked forward, and I thought to myself, Lord, what am I going to say to these people? They've asked me to come and speak. And I don't feel like I have anything prepared. So as I made my way up there, I said, well, I guess you just got to stop. Just start. Just jump in and begin. So I greeted everybody and I said, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for having me in your church today. Heart was beating more. The sweat was coming. Anxiety was building. I kept going and I knew as I got closer, it was going to be time to share the word with these people. But I still didn't know what I was going to say. How could I come speak at somebody's church and not be prepared to say something? So I got up there and I decided, well, I'm going to have to take a step of faith and just dive right in. So I asked the congregation, I said, would you please join me in your Bibles in the book of Matthew? So as I went to begin to look and find the book of Matthew, I couldn't find it in my Bible. And I was, usually there's a bookmark there. Usually there's some kind of paper or something that that lets me find my place. And as I was paging through here, I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see any highlights or anything. I was getting more and more nervous. And as I kept paging through, then things started to fall out of my Bible. And I looked out at the people and I was like, they must think that this is a circus happening in front of them. But they didn't. They looked at me with compassion and forgiveness for not being prepared to come speak to them. So as I kept to keep looking, I was not going to give up. I needed to share something. I needed to share something with them. And a lady finally said, just take a breath. Catch your thoughts. Pull yourself together. We'll wait. We've got time. So as I continued to look through my Bible and look through my Bible, I did see one last piece of paper that was sticking out. And I I thought, surely these are the sermon notes that I need to share with these people. So when I opened it up, I only found that it was a blank paper towel. And I thought, oh, Lord, what am I going to do here? I'm going to have to wing it. And just then, um, as I paged through my Bible again, I I looked out again at those those compassionate faces that were were really just kind of there with me and willing to support me in this mess that I was in front of them. And then I looked over here in the front row, and there was Thomas Chong sitting there. And my heart sunk, because this is a man who can recite Bible verses, chunks of Bible, without even looking. And here I am, and I can't remember what I'm supposed to be saying to these people. I didn't know anybody in that room except for Thomas. Well, my prayer this week has been, as I've been preparing this message, is that, 
Lord, to please give me the words that I need to say to this congregation. And, and in that dream, I believe that, that God speaks to us uh, in many different ways. And what he showed me in that dream is that the people sitting in that congregation were very compassionate and they were forgiving of what I was going. They sympathized with what I was going through. Well, this week we are continuing our journey through the Beatitudes. And uh, my prayer was what has been, you know, what, what are we going to, what are we going to talk about when we get to the topic of mercy? When we look at the Beatitudes, what, what I'm reminded of is that God teaches us so much through his word. There's so, such a rich history of things and how we live our lives. And today we're finding ourselves halfway through the Beatitudes. And if you look at the first four that we've already been looking at, we understand that we have a need for him. Our comfort comes from him. The inheritance that we have is in him. And finally, last week, we learned how he satisfies our hunger and our thirst for righteousness. Well, the blessings that come to us from the first four Beatitudes stem primarily from a relationship that we have with him. And in our church, what we could refer to that as our up relationship with God. Now, as we transition and move into the next four, we learn of the blessings that come primarily from the relationships that we have with others. These are our in with other believers relationships. This is out to a hurting world relationships. And here's where we find the blessings of being merciful, having a pure heart, making peace, and doing right. I find it interesting and, and appropriate that the verses following the Beatitudes speak about salt and light. And the Beatitudes provide us with a foundation of how we season and light the world around us because of the relationships that we have. Listen to what Jesus tells us about salt and light. Matthew 5, 13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. And then he continues to talk about light. He says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, the lamp is placed on a stand where everyone can see it in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. So my question this morning is, how does mercy play into this? How does being merciful help us season and light the world? Well, as we move forward on this, I'd like for us to focus on two kinds of mercy, compassion and forgiveness. It is our compassion that moves us to action. Our compassion moves us to action. It is forgiveness that moves us away from ourselves, and it frees us from our sins. Our ability to have compassion and to forgive requires an outward action that is associated with an inward call. The basis, the foundation, of course, is mercy shown to us on the cross. We're familiar with that. We are the benefactors of that grace. And this gives us a reason to shine our lights for others to see. 
It is by God's grace and mercy that I stand before you today as an ambassador of his word. I certainly do not feel qualified for this responsibility. And as you saw just before, I can't even find Matthew in my dreams. But what I am reminded of over and over and over again through God's word and his, his, uh, his dealings in people's lives is that he qualifies the unqualified and he equips the ill-equipped. But most importantly, he gives grace and mercy when we least deserve it. What we are called, all of us are his ambassadors, and we are called to show mercy as he did. And Jesus teaches us about compassion in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And here is an example of compassion that is followed by actions. Compassion that is not followed by an action is really nothing. It's a thought. Remember that the action is connected to that inner calling that we have that says to go out and be compassionate. Jesus tells the the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Listen to what he says. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied to him, Well, what does the law of Moses say, and how do you read it? And the man answered in this way, Luke 10, 27, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So Jesus, in typical Jesus form, decided to tell a story. And he told with this story above the the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he replied this way, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead on the side of the road. By chance, a priest came along. And when he saw the man laying there on the road, he crossed to the other side and passed him by. And then a temple assistant came, walked over and looked at him laying there. He too passed him on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, it says that he felt compassion. So he went over to him, and the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he could take care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, and he said, Take care of this man, and if his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. Then Jesus asked the man, Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, yes, and now go and do the same. And he expects the same of all of us. The parable of the Good Samaritan teaches us that we need to show mercy to those in need and not pass them by. The scripture says of the Good Samaritan that he felt compassion, and he acted on it. He felt compassion, 
and he acted on it. Compassion in action. Jesus did this over and over again. Whether it was healing sick people, making it possible for the lame to walk, the deaf to hear. And you know, we may not have those powers to heal the way that Jesus did, but we do have the power to work through our compassion to extend a hand and help those in need. We need to be moved by our compassion and help others in his name. And in doing this, in our example, we are preaching the gospel and meeting need without discrimination, and we season the earth and we bring light through our actions. We can exercise compassion in many different ways, whether it's adopting a child through an agency overseas, or right here in our own community, in our own church, in our own croc center. We have opportunities to exercise compassion all the time. The good thing is that we're the Salvation Army, and we do that all the time. But I'll tell you something, that there's something that you take away from this when you exercise that compassion. The blessings that we receive by having compassion and acting on it, far outweigh the blessings bestowed on the recipient. We are seasoning and lighting a bland and darkened world with our compassion in action. Now as we transition and move into the other side, we're talking about forgiveness, the other kind of mercy that, we're, that I mentioned. Forgiveness moves us away from ourselves because it requires a surrender. Forgiveness requires a surrender. We must be able to let go. Max Lucado said that you will never be called upon to give more grace than God has already given you. His mercy is larger than anything that we've done. And that's amazing when you think about it. That, in turn, we need to go and do that. So as we look at forgiveness, we are forgiven, so therefore we also need to forgive. And we experience freedom and restoration in doing both forgiving and being forgiven. We see that in Jesus' life, he had a track record of forgiveness. From adulterous women to crooked tax collectors. He forgave. He set an example. And in many cases, he sat down and had a meal with them. His nature was forgiving. We need to emulate that nature and be forgiving also. And if we're truly going to be setting Christ's example, we need, to forget, we need to forgive others. Why do you think it's so hard for us to forgive and let go in the same way that we've been forgiven? Well, I'll tell you the first thing is, is that we're human. We're not Jesus, so it is going to naturally be more difficult for us. And it's easier sometimes to carry a grudge than to just let it go. Even though we know that there's a restoring freedom that comes in it, it's easier to just carry that grudge. And for some people, it may be, it make them, maybe make them feel good to carry that grudge. Perhaps it gives them a sense of winning in the situation. It is your justice in the situation. I'm going to hold on to this grudge and not forgive. But unfortunately, a refusal to forgive somebody only imprisons the person that's unwilling to forgive, not the person that they need to forgive. 
God calls us to forgive. And sometimes we have to forgive what we see as unforgivable. And sometimes it's when we're most unwilling. I try to put myself in the shoes of a victim of, 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 uh, uh, you know, of some kind of crime that we see on the news right now. There's, there's murder, there's sex abuse, there's child predators, there's, there's people that rob other people. The news is really bad these days, and I try to put myself in the, in the victim's spot and say, would I be able to forgive my perpetrators for doing that against me? And in my human flesh, I think it would be very difficult because those crimes are heinous. They're, they're, they're like the top of the list right there. It's not, not some little, little transgression. Those are the big ones. And you see over and over and over again where you'll have a parent whose child was killed by a drunk driver come out and forgive that drunk driver. That takes a lot. That takes a lot. But what we know is that there is freedom in forgiveness. And when we forgive, we season and lighten a darkened world. Jesus showed us that ultimate act of forgiveness on the cross, didn't he? Luke 23, 24 says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And he said this while he was hanging on a cross, bleeding for our sins. Experiencing the most painful death, he asked God to forgive the very people who were mocking him, beating him, killing him. And by this request, God opened the door of salvation to those who were murdering him. Isn't that amazing? If he can do that, why can't we? He sought forgiveness when he was experiencing the pain of crucifixion. And it was that example that moved witnesses to believe that he was, in fact, the son of God. And when we look at this example, those things that we may be holding on to and refuse to re forgive others for seem so insignificant. He was crucified and he forgave. When we forgive and surrender, we release ourselves from the bondage that causes a separation between us and what was done on that cross. What is it that you need to forgive in your life today? Is there somebody that you need to forgive? A family member? A co-worker? A friend? Maybe it was somebody that just cut you off on the road. Anybody get road rage? Forgiveness is the beginning of restoration. That song in this morning that, that, that played in the beginning, I Surrender All. I love that song and I love what it says. And forgiveness is about surrender. Compassion is about some sort of surrender as well. What I'd like you to do is close your eyes right now. And I'd like for you to get with your eyes closed, a picture in your mind of someone or a group of people that you can show compassion to. Are those faces coming to you? Is it a neighbor? Is it a friend? Is it somebody that just needs help on the side of the road? What are those faces? And then next, perhaps there's somebody in your life that you need to forgive. Is their face coming to you? 
you see those spaces and are you ready to surrender whatever it is that you're holding and forgive them? Perhaps that face that you are looking at this morning is your own face and you need to seek that forgiveness. We know that God wants to forgive us and he wants us to surrender everything that we have to him. He wants to forgive you. He doesn't want you to leave this place without experiencing that forgiveness.